1: Hello, 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 and welcome to episode four of the Starting Line podcast with me, Rich Lee, where we'll continue to talk to amazing people with incredible stories, and today's is absolutely no different. But before we get onto that, I need to speak about the fantastic week we've just had, an absolutely mind-blowing week in which I think anybody that's ever made a podcast can attest to the fact that you become quite addicted quite quickly to checking the charts, to looking at how things are doing, and... I was looking at the Apple podcast charts. This podcast comes under business, society and culture, self-improvement, about various other kind of categories uh, as you upload a podcast. And I think it's quite fun, actually, to bring some of you along with me on the journey of creating a podcast, especially those of you following on the social media channels. I went onto each of those categories. I was thinking, oh, it'd be amazing to be in the top 200 of business. Yeah, we're only two weeks in. It'd be incredible to see. But, you know, not expecting anything so I, what I did is I scrolled all the way down to the 200th podcast and then I scrolled up and I thought, yeah, it's not going to happen. It's not going to happen. And then I got to the top 100, kept scrolling and I saw the starting line podcast in there at 72, number 72 in the world, the, the 72nd best listened to business podcast in the world. And then I kept looking every, <laughs> every day I'd look and we got to 63 in the charts, which is just phenomenal. And essentially that means that we are, yeah, we're pushing towards the top 50. Uh, So Stephen Bartlett, I've got my eye on you. (laughs) Where's that crown? Thank you for sharing, listening, reviewing. That's the thing I think that makes the most difference is the review. So thank you for all of the five-star reviews, both on Spotify and on Apple Podcasts. The more people we can get this out to, the more people can listen to it. And the fantastic guests we've had Let's not forget, we've had Levi Roots, we've had Marnie Swindles, the Apprentice winner from this year. We've had James Cracknell OBE. His episode has just absolutely flown. Uh, it's a phenomenal conversation with a with a just inspiring man, and the other two have just been phenomenal as well. And you know, success begets success. Somebody comes along, they listen to that one, they listen to another one, they subscribe. It's wonderful. So thank you very very much. I just want to get this out to as many people as possible. What I wanted to do with this podcast, and I've been talking about doing this anybody that's listened to other episodes knows that I've been talking about doing this for a long time. And 10 years, 9, 10 years, I've got notes from 2012, 2013, where I'm talking about the kind of guests I'd like to have on, the kind of things I want to be talking about. And I'm really glad that I didn't do it then, because now with 35, I'm that bit older, I've got that much more experience and contacts and all of those things. But one thing I want to do is put my home city of Gloucester on the map. If you ask anybody what they know of Gloucester, it's usually a handful of things. The rugby team. Love Gloucester Rugby. They'll talk about maybe the cheese rolling, which is where some insane people chase cheese down a 1-1 hill, and the winner gets the cheese, and everybody else gets a broken leg. They might talk about Harry Potter in the cathedral, uh, because uh, some of Harry Potter was filmed in Gloucester Cathedral. Or they'll talk about Fred West and Rose West, and the less said about that, the better. So I think, you know, I've, I've, I've loved this city, there are some incredible people doing amazing things and there have been for a long time and I just think sometimes this, this city we're quite downcast we're quite negative and there it can be a real feeling of oh it's just you know, Gloucester uh, you know Cheltenham's better etc now for anybody outside of Gloucestershire outside of the UK that would not mean very much to you but Cheltenham's where the races happen is it's quite a quite an affluent area compared to Gloucester it being its kind of poorer cousin you've got As I say, some amazing people have done some incredible things from here. For instance, one of the people I talked to in this very series, so he'll be coming up soon, a guy called Christian Leroy Duncan. And Christian was a Cage Warriors middleweight champion, defended the title. And the Cage Warriors is effectively the feeder competition to the UFC. Anybody into mixed martial arts will know the UFC is like the Premier League. And I guess, I don't think it's a disservice to say Cage Warriors is effectively the championship. And I think that's a really, really good way of saying he was the very best in Cage Warriors, middleweight champion, as I say. And he's fought in the UFC now. And he'll just walk around Gloucester and people won't necessarily even look at him, know who he is. I want to change that. I want to say, listen, we've got a UFC fighter from Gloucester. And that brings me to, that's an episode to listen to. That's an episode to watch out for. It's a phenomenal, phenomenal conversation. Christian is a credit to the city, a credit to the sport, just an incredibly humble, sensitive. You wouldn't think it for somebody who gets in a an, an octagon and punches people for a living, but just an incredible guy. And that is a very nice segue to Shabir Haderi. Shabir fled Afghanistan age 12. He ended up in Gloucester after an incredibly long and tumultuous journey and something, frankly, I wouldn't want to wish on my worst enemy. He... Has had five professional fights. He's won every single one. He's got his sixth fight coming up on September 30th. If you go to Shabir's social media pages, then you can find details of how to go to that fight. He's just been granted British citizenship, which is incredible. I've known Shabir, again, for getting on 10 years now. I watched his first ever amateur fight, as we talk about in the episode, and you could see then he had something incredibly special. This episode, as I say, is to shine a light on the city, to bring this city behind him, to bring people all over the world behind Shabir, because he's a phenomenal talent. And he'll be on his way to his sixth win on the 30th of September. And then no doubt onto bigger things. The world he wants to be world champion. And you listen to this and tell me that you'd bet against that happening. Given that Gloucester seems to be, feels like something of an underdog city. There are definite parallels with Philadelphia. It's an easy comparison to make. But here we have our very own Rocky Balboa in Shabir Haderi. To follow this show on social media, that's at Starting Line Show on Instagram and TikTok, at Starting Line Show without the W on Twitter. And to find out more about the podcast and me, go to StartingLinePod.com. For Facebook, for those of you still using Facebook, and there are a good few of you, just search for The Starting Line Podcast. So without further ado, I bring to you my powerful emotional conversation with Shabir Haery. Shabir, hello mate. I rich. <laughs> hello, hello. Thank you so much for coming in to do this. I think you are on a great run right now. Is it 5 and 0?
2: 5 and 0. It is in 5 and 0 professionally.
1: How in many professionally. amateur fights?
2: I've, I've had 18 amateur fights, although I should have had a lot more, but due to injuries, plus I had schooling and other personal stuff that kind of set me back. But I was always fighting people who's had 50 fights, 100 fights, 100 amateur fights. So I was always up against,
1: against it. Did you know that you wanted to be a pro boxer as soon as you walked into the, uh, the gym or?
2: The first day I walked into the gym, I mean, I tried kickboxing, I tried wrestling, uh, I tried a bit of everything, MMA, taekwondo, karate, everything. But I just never found anything that like gave me that adrenaline, that buzz or that energy. And then remember the first day walking into a boxing gym, uh, Fight Factory, and straight away they kind of, we were doing some drill, just like, countering countering the jab and then uh from the very first day i was getting hit in the face and i just fell in love with it
1: <laughs> <laughs> that's amazing but so you trying all the other ones that that was before boxing so taekwondo yeah, yeah. and, and all of those things so you knew once you, you wanted to do something in the combat kind of sport
2: yeah I, I always had uh something in me that just wanted to do that i just didn't know how to channel my energy or how to channel that i just i was i was a lost soul Really? Until I found boxing, yeah.
1: What made you, do you think, want to kind of pursue combat sport? It
2: it, was, it wasn't like I wasn't particularly looking to do a combat sport, although I did like fighting or all the rough stuff I always did. But I just didn't know what to do and what I'm going to stick to and also plus the opportunity I'm going to get. And I think uh, boxing... Was just at the right time, the right opportunity, and I think it just took, it gave me that right energy that I needed.
1: How old were you when you first uh, first started boxing?
2: Uh, fourteen. I was fourteen. Yeah. yeah.
1: So you'd been in Gloucester a couple of years by that point. Is that right?
2: Uh, I was in Gloucester almost a year. I think I was here. Yeah, yeah, just more than a year, probably.
1: Amazing. So you fight at the weekend you. That was your second fight in two weeks. How are you feeling after that?
2: I mean, I haven't got a bruise. My face is as good as it was when (laughs) I entered the ring. Everything is fine apart from my hands just a little bit sore just because fighting two fights in 2 weeks uh, especially professional fights I mean even the amateur guys don't do it It's
1: kind of unheard of you It's don't...
2: very very unheard of even the amateurs they don't fight twice in 2 weeks and I and I thought look I want to fight you know regardless uh, just because my my last fight got canceled so I just thought I'm um, I want to catch up. I don't want to fall behind. I want to get to those tiles as quick as possible, even if it costs me, even if I have to put money from my own pocket. Like I didn't really care. I just wanted to fight. So that's why both of the fights were booked in. And I said, let's go for it.
1: I love it. For a lot of people that listen to this, boxing seems quite complex. All the weight divisions, all the belts. Of course, we all know you're Anthony Joshuas. Everybody knows the big names, but boxing's hard to make a name in. What is the route from amateur through to, we're talking about titles. How do you go from boxing in your in Fight Factory at your local gym to winning a world title?
2: I, I mean, the process, I mean, for most, the most important thing is in boxing that you can box. Yeah. You, that, that is like, that's it. If you, that you need to kind of tick that box and then you can also fight and you can take a punch. These are kind of the three fundamentals that you need to have To succeed in this boxing career and i think so far i'm 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 yet to find out that myself like i know i can fight i know i can box my trainer uh, has put people in front of me top prospects and all those top level boys and i've been sparring them and i've yet to be tested so i feel like although they think it is a test for me but i haven't found that test yet so i'm still looking for it and as of boxing starting in your local gym starting from zero to potentially winning a world title is a can continuous dedication training fight as much as you can in amateur get as much experience as you can once you've had all your amateur experience then you need, obviously, you need a professional boxing coach who's going to take you to that next step, who's going to guide you through your career. And that's not good enough. You also need the backing of your friends, your family, your local community, plus your city, you know, your town. And, you know, if you haven't got the backing of that when you're signing off into from a local gym, it's very hard to make it to the top just because every time you fight you have to cover all these different costs you have to pay for your your manager you have to pay your coach you have to pay the promoter you have to pay your opponent when you start off and then you're the last person to get paid so it's not easy but I mean you know what they say if it was easy everyone would have done it so that's why we do it
1: that's it. And you fight, what weight do you fight at now?
2: At the moment, like I fought a uh, further weight, 57 kilo. I fought a super further weight, 59 kilo. My last fight was, I almost fought a uh, 64 kilo. Uh, although I was a lighter, my opponent was a lot heavier. So I fought a lighter weight, but I still managed to get the win. Yeah, so it was all good.
1: How many categories are there? How many weight categories are there?
2: There's loads. You got a uh, flyweight super flyweight bantamweight super bantamweight then you have a featherweight super feather and then lightweight super lightweight and it just the list keeps going on and on and on the only uh, we are the lower category guys are capped a certain weight but when you're heavyweight you can be as big as you want like Anthony Joshua or Tyson Fury there is no limit yeah. <laughs> you can be as Absolute big as you monsters. want that's it, they're giants those guys are yeah
1: so from here as i say 5 and 0 oh, where do you go from here
2: I've got a very long road ahead. However, I can see my road a little clear. I know I can see the path, but I don't know the bumps was going to be ahead. From here, I've, got, I've already spoke to my manager. I've already spoke to my coach, to my team. And I just said, look, I'm going all the way. I can see myself going all the way to the world title. I said, for uh, one moment, if I thought I couldn't do that, that would be the last day of me boxing. I would I would hang my glove just because boxing is just too hard of a sport to play around with it. Why would you and, put yourself through it? You know, yeah. Why would I put myself through it everything? And and just when I start off like at the moment, boxing is actually costing me money rather than giving me anything back. That's
1: funny because as a professional fighter, as a professional boxer. People would think that you're making money from this, as in, you know, making hopefully good money. You know, you'd hope that with what you put in, training, the camps, the eating perfectly, all all of this stuff, the the fights themselves, people would hope that you were making money. But you're you're saying that it costs you.
2: Oh, absolutely! Like, and even now, it's it's funny you saying that when I bump into my friends and all that, and obviously they follow me through social media and they they see my fight news and everything, won the fight, and they just carry on. Oh, you're a big man now. You've you've got all the all the money all the bucks in, in, in your pocket and i'm thinking i just go with it uh however it, it's not like that at the moment we kind of i'm working to fund my training it's like the the training cost uh we have to go sparring twice a week we have to travel to london we have to travel to birmingham wales that cost uh, the fuel every time every time you go there it costs you 100 pounds just to go there and back plus on top of that all the the training equipment you have to get the right gloves just because that's that's your tools you want to make sure your hands are protected every pair one pair of gloves are 300 your head guards about 300 ballistic protector 300 plus the clothes you have to get. Uh, and then on top of that, the nutrition, the food you need, you have to make sure you get the right food. That costs a lot of money. To Nowadays, it's a lot easier to be unhealthy than actually healthy. Very so true. it costs double when you're trying to be healthy. And then you have to pay every year. You have to make sure you do medical, boxing medical. It's like costs you like a grand every time you have to have a brain scan.
1: But when when does a boxer start making money?
2: Oh, that. Uh, That's the question. That's the golden question. I'm yet to find (laughs) out myself. (laughs) Just because we've been struggling, Uh, however, uh, I think it's when we reach uh, the tiles and we get those, the big promoters looking at us and see, you know, there is potential and and they're backing us and saying. Who are uh,
1: the big promoters? Who Who do you want to take notice of? You
2: know, oh, everybody knows Eddie Hearn you know matchroom boxing they are the guys at the moment they run the show so i would love for them like to kind of come on board and see the potential and give me the opportunity to show showcase the world what you've I got, got all the
1: talent you know i was saying to you before this I'm watching your fights they all go they'll go on youtube you can see you're a phenomenal phenomenal boxer i know nasim hamed is a you know is, is an inspiration for you i grew up watching nasim hamed and thinking what a man did he fight in your weight category
2: Oh, yes, he did. He did actually. Uh, Naseem Ahmad, Prince Naseem ahmad Oh, he's, he's a great fighter. Absolutely, uh, all credit to him. He's he was an amazing fighter, and his style was very unique.
1: Phenomenal, hands down. Like you know. Oh, crazy. absolutely! It was like it was out of ordinary. He's like, flip, you know, he'd like you know, flip into the um, ring or come in on a flying carpet, all of that stuff.
2: I don't know if I can do that <laughs> flip into the ring <laughs> uh, but I certainly uh, try all the all the other stuff dropping my hands I mean I've got people are already comparing me to Prince Nassim Hamad but I think my style is completely different in some ways it's a similar but it's in a lot of ways it's going to be a lot different I have my own style is it's very unique I switch I can box I can fight uh, I can drop my hands you know it's on the night you know whoever they put in front of me according to that individual and according to the crowd
1: what they want to see let's talk about that actually because i think i see you coming out in your your big coat you love to put on a show you can see that you know, for the people that do travel and come and support you. And I know there are, there are many, you know, you know, there are many people you love to put on a show. Do you think that's important in terms of building your profile? You know, is, is it conscious building your profile enough, um, you know, within those fights so that, so that people just kind of stand up and take notice. So both inside and outside of the ring?
2: Oh no, absolutely. I think this, it is who I am. You know, you what you see inside the ring, this is the guy I am. What you see outside the ring, this is who I am. I don't, try to put on something or be somebody that i'm not obviously going to the ring the reason i i box is because i enjoy it the reason i fight is i enjoy it so i make sure every moment in that ring i cherish
1: you really look like you're enjoying it as well and uh, i love that
2: and i do like honestly i get punched in the face (laughs) even that part i still love it you know every part of it so when i when I walk into the ring and when I see all that crowd outside and cheering my name, all the friends and family and fans, it just kind of gives me that extra, extra bit of energy that I need to make sure that whatever show I put on, I make sure it's got that extra spice to it. You know, everybody enjoys it. I put a show on anyway, but because all that crowd they've, come to watch me fight i spend their hard earned money to come and watch me fight and make sure their money is worthwhile you know
1: so how do you get to the point of fighting for a title
2: we we are on the building at the moment the next fight is going to be an eight rounder for me i've already spoke to my manager i said look i want a challenge uh give me somebody who's going to push me who's going to give me all the different problems they can and i need a hard fight i need somebody who can Stand with me, fight me, and who can box me? Uh, so we've already spoke. Uh, after this fight, or even this fight, uh, we can get like a title eliminator. Uh, which after that, hopefully, a southern area after this fight, a southern area or an English title. That's why at the moment. That's where the talk is. Once I get my English title, then we can go on and get the British Commonwealth European.
1: We we touched on. You came to England when you were twelve from Afghanistan. I know that wasn't the easiest journey for you to say the least.
2: Yeah, I mean, my journey uh, over here, it, it, when people talk about, oh, uh, I'm going away, I'm going to Afghanistan or, or I'm going to Spain, all we have in our mind is just get a ticket online and go on a plane and we're in Spain within the next four hours. But my journey wasn't, wasn't like that. It, was, it probably took me almost eight months to a year yeah we started off we kind of uh, we were on the plane there was part of the journey that we had to get on the plane there was part of journey we had to kind of walk for for night during the nights yeah, just to cross the border There was part of the journey we had to get on the dinghy belt and cross the channel at any moment i never thought i could make it it was uh, in my head like I, I could never see it making it i always thought oh i wonder if i make it or is that it you know
1: like, is that, it? As is that in, it
2: like as in am i gonna survive it did you want to come yes i did i just i didn't know the extent of opportunity but i like it was the dreamland the heaven or the land of opportunity that's that's what it is and well back home back in afghanistan you you don't have that you when you get out of your home you don't know whether you can Come back to your house alive you know it, it was like that and it's it's not just about oh there's all that fighting going on all that uh, explosion whether you can make it back alive there's a, there was a lot of kidnapping people are kind of hungry they i mean they would do anything to kind of feed themselves so it was dangerous times there was times we were hungry for days i've seen stuff as a young child that i shouldn't but it's made me who i am today
1: do you think that strength of mind is why are you gonna succeed as a boxer.
2: Oh absolutely. I mean and nothing I've seen so much as a young child that uh as I said before, I don't wish any 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 child to go through that or any, any underage, any adult to go through it just because is it's horrifying, it's horrific, uh, and it's terrible. But then again, it was almost like in that age when you when you when you see something that your mind your mind can't cope with it, you almost kind of get numb to it and uh, I remember those days and I think that's what most of the Afghans are they are numb to that feeling.
1: Uh, I was listening to a podcast with um, Yeonmi Park I don't know if you've heard of her she's a North Korean defector they call her and she was saying similar things about North Korea but obviously we don't really see much here much know much you know about North Korea but she said some of the things she saw you just get incredibly numb to you know the horror of it almost and i can't imagine so no thank you for for sharing that i mean was there a moment where you where your family were like this is the last you know this is it we need to you know we need to kind of get shabir out of here
2: there there was loads of loads of moments you know for the for the whole family um and there was, still is you know like you still worry about your family you you can always worry about your family just because i'm in a safe country i'm uh, I've got bed to sleep on. I've got I've got family that I, that loves me. Got friends and family that looks after me, and we know we're safe. We're kind of striving to achieve, or I'm striving to achieve my dream. But back home, I still got friends and family that I still when I remember, I think I wonder what's going to happen to them, or I wonder I wonder what future's going to hold for them. You know, is, is there is is there is any future? Yeah, it's it's, it's one of those. I tend to kind of, right now, I tend to not watch the news much just because of what's happening. And if there is something I can do about that or if there is something I can change, uh, but if it's out of my hand, and uh, there's no good me kind of moaning and putting myself down about it or kind of almost ruining my future because me getting a future, me me getting to the top of the world or getting that world title, that is a hope for this country in England or UK as a whole, but also at the same time, it's a hope for all those refugees, all those people that kind of got displaced during the war or suffering some sort, and they've, they're they struggling to find a way when they look at me and see what I've achieved through all that hardship, although there's always people that's gonna be worse than me, but to some extent, if what I've been through and look at where I am going, I think it's gonna kind of give them some sort of hope.
1: You're called the Afghan warrior. So you can't fail but to know where you're from. And hopefully, as you say, that reaches that reaches people, inspires people. I did see you've trademarked it. You've yeah. trademarked the Afghan warrior. I absolutely love that. What, what are you hoping to do with it?
2: I trademarked it just because I kind of, I, later on, I want to, once I get a bit more time and the, the right support and the right crew with me, I want to turn that into a charity. I want to turn that into like a business and uh, merchandise and all the all the other stuff, so the some of the profit of that company could go to the go and have build a school or build a boxing gym, you know something for all those orphans back in Afghanistan.
1: That's incredible. yeah you'll get there. I know you will you absolutely will
2: Oh we will absolutely, we will as a team.
1: I heard you talking once about your your trip over. You you talked about the dinghy in particular. It's it's something that we through the media see a lot, and people that do have a you know have lived a life of comfort that haven't had to struggle, that haven't that don't know what that feels like, looks like. They see these images of of people coming here on boats and all that, and you know they might have negative um, thoughts of them. You want to tell us what it was like?
2: Oh, it's even kind of sometimes when I see a little clip of people on the dinghy i kind of it kind of takes because it gives me that flashback of that night it's like on the dinghy you're supposed to sit just five max five people but we were sat like about uh 30 40 with women kids adults i i was in a, a great swimmer and crossing the channel from turkey to greece it was a very long channel dark at night very very scary and there was times I've heard so many stories, just there was people that went before us, they kind of drowned and there most of them died. In my in the back of my mind, I just thought, okay, I think that's this is it. All right. Again, I was I was numb to it. It was like, I think this might be it, but like it didn't really phase me in terms of oh, I'm upset or I'm well I'm crying. It's like, oh, if it is what it is, it's gonna be. This is what's gonna be.
1: Did you talk? So like were you talking on there as you I
2: the, Women were crying, kids were crying. There was loads of screams. There was two more babies, but they were like toddlers, younger than me. But like I was kind of the younger adult or child that was on that dinghy. And as soon as it came, we got to the shore, and it was like, "Oh my God, we're here!" You know, and everybody like the the agent they said, "Oh, you know, you guys need to start jumping and get on the water." So everybody started running. Like all the adults, bear in mind, I was very young. I was only 12. So well, I was the last to go. And there, all the women went, jumped in the water. It was like about 40, 50 meters away from the shore. And the water was quite, the waves were quite heavy as well. So as I was going, you know, tried to get to the shore, it was like one of the women left one of their babies, you know, like a toddler uh, on the dinghy. Everyone, everyone else left left the dinghy so it was me and that toddler and the dad of that toddler took the other baby took him with him but he couldn't take both of them so it was like in the back of my mind I was thinking oh should I take this baby or should I just take care of myself and get to the shore I don't want to die it was just a split of a moment and I just thought okay you know what bugger it I just grabbed that baby with me and then jumped in the water and tried to get and tried to get in the shore and it is very weird feeling. I just thought I never thought we could make it. Even on that moment, I thought, okay. Although I seen the parents cross, like it was it was dark, jump in the water, and I thought they they probably take make make it to the shore. But in the back of my mind, that baby was crying, and I had it, and we were just it was like a bit of a hill, uh, all the rocks and stuff. We had to climb up, climb up it, and you just couldn't see any anybody. You couldn't see anything. Couldn't see any anybody. All you could hear was the waves kind of hitting the rocks. And then at that moment, in, in in the back of my mind, I'm kind of thinking, what if this baby's parents die? What are you gonna do? You know, what are you gonna do to this baby? And I just thought, you know, whatever. I'm just gonna say, this is my brother. You know. Yeah. And that was that was literally going through my head on that moment. And that baby was crying, and it was like, and I was running
1: with the baby. You How know? old are we talking? How old do you think the baby was? I
2: I think it was about. Probably 16 months, 16 months to 14 months, trivia, roughly. It, it was very scary, and it was kind of as I was running, like well, I didn't worry that oh, shall I find the parents? No, we are just running, and as I was going across, and I thought I was running, and I thought oh, maybe that maybe the parents survived. So I was like, everybody else was running, you couldn't see anything. So got the baby, I started going back, coming backwards towards where. Kind of jumped off the dinghy and uh, all the rocks and everything and the baby were crying and then from very far away i could i could hear the mum screaming and then i thought okay the mum the mum is alive and then i seen the mum and from very far away like we started running towards her and then as soon as i seen that she was close enough to see me and seeing the baby i thought hey here's your baby come on take it you know and then she started running to a baby and she was like, "You could just see the tears and the joy at the same time? And, you know, and it was like- You saved a
1: life. You literally saved a life.
2: I don't know, you know. You did. I don't know whether I, I saved that life or not, but it's just, it was one of those, I kind of,
1: yeah. Yeah, that's incredible. I mean, super inspiring. Oh, it's hard to talk about it, man. I'm sorry. It speaks to who, who you are even if at 12 years old, that's the choice you made. And as an adult, you know, you continue to, you know, to make choices that are going to inspire people and change people's lives. And that's, that's it. That's why when I was telling you what this podcast about, that's exactly what I want. I want people are going to be listening to this and they're, 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 you know, it's just given a a measure of you. You know, we talked about, you know, building a community around you, you know, getting, getting people on, on side, you know, the fact is I, I, I pity any fighter that gets in the ring with you because they don't have the fight that you have because they've not been through this you know the same thing i remember listening to somebody talking about a ufc i think dana white or somebody was was talking and they were saying if you don't have the mindset for this you know, if you're coming in here just because you know you think ah oh, this is you know this is a bit of fun you'll get your head torn off because there are people in there you're mike Tyson's of the world you don't have what they've got you know yeah. and i think your choice in that moment has undoubtedly changed the course of that that kid's life I mean that that kid will be how old now? Probably fourteen, fifteen. Yeah, older than you like, were then.
2: Yeah, yeah. If I mean, I seen I seen the mum and then I said, look, she she was speaking Persian. Uh, I don't know whether she was from Iran or Afghanistan. So when I left that baby, you know, I was like, I was so grateful and thankful that I I knew the mum was safe and I knew the baby was safe. Did you see the dad? But I didn't see the dad, uh, but I just seen the the mum and that I just left it and we started running. Start running away you know just
1: did you even know where you were running
2: no i didn't the, the dinghy boat took us from turkey to oh. greece and and this and we thought we they said oh this is greece but we didn't know actually where we was and we started running and there was like a big hill and we started running up uh, up the hill and then it seemed like the whole hill was surrounded by water and everywhere we started going running up and then come back down on the other side and it was water Start running up again, come back down, and you see the water over there. So I just thought, what's going on here? I think we're in like a small little island, or where there is no way out. You know, you could literally die here. And then everybody started running, and then finally, when everybody got tired, everybody came back together. Like literally, every single one uh, they started running, they all came back together, and they said, "Look." And there was a smart guy. They said, "Oh, look, we just have all we have to do. There's lines." electric cables. We just have to follow that and that will take us to shore. So I don't know how his mind worked. He must be genius <laughs> Einstein. And so we all uh started walking and taking this road, taking this path to to get to the shore. And then funny enough it did have a little pass that took us to the main village. And on that village you could only see like a couple of houses and then there was a church. There's there's a nice beautiful uh bear in mind that's like Two two a.m. two a.m. in the morning, dark. You can't see anything. Everything's pitch dark, quiet. It's almost like out of that horror movie when you watch those horror movies. So we kind of we went to that church and we said, well, "I've heard stories that whenever you go to a church, you know the priest or whoever's in there or the the nuns, they'll they'll always welcome you and help you and feed you if if you need be." So we went there, uh, and there was kids, you know, and uh, I remember the I can't, I can't picture the dad's face but I know the mum was there and all the rest of the babies and everybody was there uh, so there was like a nice two orange trees and we were starving as, as anything everybody just jumped on that tree and started to like pick up those oranges and there was one of the tastiest oranges and I, can still, I, can, like, I can still taste it uh, yeah it, it was good and then I, I remember like vaguely like the, the dad and the mum kind of thanking me for for helping them with the baby
1: so the church did you see a priest or nuns or anything did they we, we didn't see anybody it was just too dark but you were able to stay in the church that night
2: we weren't like we were just outside and then everybody just kind of made their own way they said oh we're going this way some said we're going that way how long had you
1: been traveling with these
2: people it was just that night just just that night that dinghy yeah and then so i kind of we were two we were two two of us and we just followed there was another guy uh, from afghanistan and he was uh, looked after us like as an older brother you know because he knew like we were very young so we just literally followed him whatever he did we we just we did the same i didn't have no money no food nothing and the that guy left us, and so there was only two of us left
1: you and uh, you
2: that. and there was another boy uh so we was good good friend on the way. you know it was like uh very close and same age as well uh, he was a bit chubbier than me i was I was very skinny, so uh, during the night we said, well, what are we going to do? We're going to freeze, and we haven't got the right clothes and everything and food we're literally we're we're starving we're going during the day there was uh a little, little roundabout where it was like it was covered up with trees all surrounded by trees and covered up like so the wind couldn't get in through. So we used to get inside that roundabout and uh, because it was just so cold, we, I, I mean, I don't know about him if, if I could keep him warm, but he certainly, that guy kept me warm and <laughs> I, I cuddled him. He had all the meat that he could, <laughs> <laughs> you could possibly get. So I was just like every, every every time we used to go in the roundabout, we just used to just cuddle up and go to so sleep. So how long were you there? I think we were there about, 15 days and what was the plan during the night we were starving during the night we used to get up and uh, walk across the road you know and see all those uh houses just one uh, across and they used to have these trees of apple tree or orange tree or pomegranate or whatever they had so we used to kind of piggyback give piggyback to one another and we tried to st- steal their fruit just because we couldn't so we you, didn't have no you food. were living just on fruit literally 15 16 days that's how that's how we lived and uh, that's all we used to do and uh, as soon as we heard a dog or somebody we just used to leg it just run as fast as you can it was, we just sat in that one park and we were just starving hungry we didn't know what was happening where we going no adults with us no phone call can't speak the language
1: anything. did you I mean did you speak to anybody there no
2: no we, we didn't have anybody and then there was very very weird experiences along the way part of the journey where we we were walking for for days you know on the train track and it was a dessert it was like a crossing from one uh, country to another i can't remember the country but it was uh, close to greece we were just going to another country yeah we were walking and it was dead winter time the snow has fallen and we haven't got the right shoes and every time i step my foot goes inside the snow and it's freezing Literally, my foot was freezing. All the shoes were wet. We don't have no food. I'm starving. We've been walking for two days in this cold weather, and we haven't got the right equipment, or in fact, we haven't got anything, you know. So we crossed the border. I can't remember what it was, Uh, and then there was police. The police got us, you know. They they took us to the the police station, and it was very late, late at night. Again, it was around probably twelve. Twelve, two o'clock, 12 to 1 or 2. And the outside, it was very cold. Once we got into the police station, it was so warm. Just because we were walking for two days, as soon as we I got inside the police station, I just couldn't keep my eyes open uh, just because they had the heating on and everything. And it was just so nice. And it was literally, it was, the police were searching us and I was just dozing off asleep. One of the police shouted at me and then, took me inside the other office where again it was very warm and i was just sat down there and i and i seen there was like a it was a roll roll of bread you know and i can remember and it was like looking at it and i just thought oh that bread would taste really nice very nice i just i'm just i just kind of want this police officer to offer me some i'm starving and i can't keep my eyes open And that's all I'm wishing for. I just want them to offer me some food. You couldn't find any horrible police officers. And those guys literally didn't offer anything, shouting at us, knowing that we were only minors, screaming, and then put us back in the car, fingerprinted us, and put us back in the car and brought us back halfway to the the border and then left us and it's all snow. If we go back that way, it's like one day. If we go back backwards, it's another day. A day and a half two days of walking and he said don't come back and you just got to go back and we're like starving we like i think we're gonna die here man we haven't got no food we haven't got no clothes and it's cold as anything she's like you know what let's start walking back We can't go back this way you know so we started walking back we walked about i can't remember how many hours but we seen this uh deserted train station and we've seen inside, it was almost like a horror movie. Every time I look at horror movie, it reminds me of that train station. And look inside there, there was like all the desk and chairs, the papers lying on Or you see all the dust and everything and it's closed. It's literally abandoned train station. And on the, on the other side, you can see there's abandoned trains and everything. And it was like very scary, dark at night. So we went, we thought, oh, it's just too cold outside here. We need some rest. So we got into those trains it was just open we got inside the train and all of us and then we said it's just too cold we we need some warm and when you was, say all of us there there was other guys you know uh, yeah and uh once we got into this uh train of this one guy had a lighter and he he smoked uh so he had a lighter and we put a fire inside the train inside the train so that you could just see the fire was there just to keep us warm and i put my feet up uh on that fire i lifted my feet up and got it close to it and my hand and i can't remember anything else I because i was so tired i just dozed off asleep you know my eyes got closed and then the next thing this this guy wakes me up wake up wake up your socks are on fire you know and i didn't even i didn't even realize just because we were walking for so many days on the snow our feet got so numb you know couldn't feel anything so my socks was on fire and I still could not feel anything. And so we just, uh, yeah, I took my socks out very quickly enough, you know? Yeah. I mean, the
1: journey was hard. The journey, know? I mean, where, how did you get to England from, from there then?
2: It was then like, they've put us, uh, we went back all the way and the agent put us inside the, those big lorries, there was Visit BetterHelp.com to learn more and save 10% on your first month. That's BetterHelp. H-E-L-P. Like uh, inside the by by the side of that big lorry, you see there's a fuel tank. Mm. The fuel tank, and they kind of put us inside that fuel tank. They had a little door outside. It's almost like you, the fuel tank ins, inside. It, they made a hole in there, and they kind of shoved us in there and to stay there. There's and no Laurie fuel in driving, that. Like- no fuel in there. Just like the the two of us. And bear in mind, although I was very happy that this guy was chubby in the nighttime, but when we got inside that, I just could not breathe. Just because my my knee were touching my mouth, and he's the same. And this guy was big as well. He took all the space, and we couldn't move. But there, we were like there, forty eight hours inside that lorry, and that lorry was. Traveling literally on the motorway, I don't know seventy mile an hour. You could just see the road going really fast, see, and I thought you could, you could, see could just see that you could just see the road and out. And if you kind of, if you switched off at any moment, and if you didn't have control over you, and you kind of leaned towards uh, your right, we would have would have been literally on the road and probably run over by another lorry or by another so car. Did you sleep? No, we couldn't sleep. We had to kind of, we had to kind of hold ourselves there, like both of us, literally one another, almost like in a box. But that one side of the box was open. If you put any pressure on towards your towards your right, you would have been Would people have it. been
1: able to see you from outside?
2: They wouldn't be able to see me from outside, but they would be able to see you from inside if you get inside. Inside under the lorry, you could just see there. Yeah. And there. So we, and yeah. that was
1: going from wherever you yeah, were. Greece. To, to Greece, Greece it was
2: Greece to Italy. Greece to Italy, Greece to Italy, yeah. and that was two days. It was two days, yeah. Like just because of where we got into the lorry and how it, it got us all across, and then on the ferry.
1: Had you been given kind of, idea ideas to where to go? So, um, you you mentioned an agent. How how's the agent involved in this? Yes,
2: it's, it's, it's. I mean, you you don't know how how to get over how to get over. You know, it's it's the agents that. Know the route. And so, is
1: this somebody that your family, for instance, would have got it's, in touch it's somebody,
2: with? Somebody, yeah. Your your family gets in touch, and you pay them, and you pay them quite uh, a lot of money to kind of get you across and guide you. And a lot of like, it's almost like they they never tell you the truth, and uh, and they don't care whether you die or whether you make it. To them, you're just another project, another making money project. kind of. Uh, you make it great oh, if you don't
1: well oh, so then you were in italy
2: we were in italy and then uh, yeah in italy there's uh like again can't speak the language don't know what to do and then we found this afghan kid again who was very helpful took us to his uh, where he used he, he was living in a camp somewhere and so he took us there and he gave us like he showed us go have a shower and fed us proper while well. looked after us really good you know and then he kind of came with us all the way to you know he showed us all around italy you know where you were in Italy? you know i i i don't know but i kind of i was in a couple of different cities I, I wouldn't know where i was i didn't even know italy and i can remember the only thing i can remember about italy we were we were traveling uh well, we were traveling on the train and there was like can't remember there was a, there was something that was saying in 2012 on this day at this time the world is going to end somebody predicted i can't remember the mayans yeah and and we were there and i was thinking and actually that i i heard that and that was going through my mind as well i just thought oh, the world is going to end today and there was another guy as well we were talking to him like the the guy who's uh, checking the tickets on the train and he's, the other guy was talking to me said oh Today the world is the world's going to end. What are you doing here? And he says, well, I still have to work. I still have to come to work, <laughs> whether the world ends or not. That's the only time I remember, like, it's the highlight of Italy for me. So then? And then uh, France, we were on the train backwards and forwards. There was, I slept on the street with a couple of nights.
1: Did you know before making the journey, before starting the journey, that it was going to be this hard?
2: When I look as an outsider and when I see uh, this journey, uh, from an outsider point of view from let's say from a from a general guy or from a from a teenager or from another kid who's going to school here yeah. in england to them this journey is going to be a, a absolutely impossible it's the it's very rare you can make it you it's almost like yeah it's it's tr- the hardest hardest journey you could make but because there were i've seen stuff back home that as again i shouldn't have seen like nothing really fazed me you know i knew the journey was hard i knew like i just thought i was going to die there was no emotions over my face or i just thought it is what it is there's nothing changes for me because the same was in afghanistan when i was back home like i just i didn't know whether i was going to die or live and there i had i had one of my friends like my close close friend childhood friends and one was she had? He said, if I were to die, I, if we were to die together or you know, anything happened to us, I want us both to die together. Like just die rather than get disabled or rather than lose an arm, lose something. Just like, that's it. Like you want to die, we die together and it won't phase us. I'm happy with that. But like, I don't want to lose any of my arm or like just because of it's hard as it is with everything with all your body part present and yeah. then to you have to lose an arm or a leg or be disabled that's going to be a next level next level difficulty that yeah it's not easy to cope with
1: was england always a destination did you leave afghan no you just no. thought i just need to be somewhere safe
2: yeah i just need to be somewhere safe i was in belgium i was underage and i had a lot of trauma from back home any moment we could have died on that journey i had a lot of Issues or angers, I don't know, or, or energy that I needed to come out. You know, somehow, like you know, it was all internal, like it was inside me. Uh, and then I was in, I was in Belgium, and the Belgian police got me because I didn't have no paper or anything, and they put me in twenty-four hour cell and treated me really bad, kind of in terms of like I was, I was a minor. I was like just putting me in a cold cold room just like there's a toilet and there's just like a little box you know 24 hour you can't do that to a child you know you can't do that
1: did they give you food
2: they they didn't they didn't give me no food or nothing and i was like i got i was in a stage i had nothing phased me i i couldn't sleep i hid that door all night kicked the door like slammed it, and i said look please get me out of this get me out of this i just can't stay here and they just didn't do it like they wouldn't Said, no, until what was the point spent, in holding you? you know, I didn't have no paper. They could have, and they wouldn't explain it to me you know, when I would be released, or they wouldn't explain it to me what's going to happen to me next, or what's going on, what's the process, and everything. And they just put me there for 24 hours. After 24 hours, they got me out, fingerprinted me, and then uh, they said, "Oh, you can stay in Belgium if you want," you know. And I thought, no.
1: Yeah, you know, up to this point, not one authority has. Is- has been kind to you no
2: absolutely not no no authority were kind to me it was it it was very kind of it was almost like what is this yeah where am I going it was like my journey hasn't ended like I'm still on that like I'm still protected I'm still I've still got my guard up like all the time with whoever's in front of me regardless I got my guard up uh, just because of my journey and everything we was in Calais trying to get on a lorry and trying to come to England we didn't i didn't know anything like i didn't know how it works what happens and there's people that the the agents again they do it for you like open the opens the lorry and chucks you in there whether it's a freezer lorry whether whatever it is all they care about just chucking you in there and locking you in hoping that oh you're gonna stay alive and you can make it and get to the other side It could take you back to afghanistan the lorry could take you anywhere he they don't you don't know where the lorry is going they so put us the first time and it was like a biscuit lorry or something and he was in there he was starving opened a few <laughs> <laughs> packet of biscuit Jenny. He, yeah, <laughs> the, uh, the best lorry you could have been <laughs> yeah and then yeah just like smashing it you know
1: <laughs> how many do you reckon you ate
2: A lot, I couldn't (laughs) even move. (laughs) And then uh, when we got to the checkpoint, I think, so because you can't see outside, you're just inside the lorry, you just kind of hearing the noise and everything. And the checkpoint stopped us and just opened the lorry and then got us all out, you know. So he's like, okay, it's fine. So we had to go all the the way back to where we started. And then the next next time, uh, they found a freezer lorry and opened it it was a dark night time it opened it put us in there it was about i can't remember how many but roughly let's say seven or eight of us i thought like in the back of my mind i thought and it was an orange lorry this time food again orange you know they used to do like orange so i went right at the back of the lorry where the fan is where it keeps the whole lorry or the container cool you know so nothing goes off so i went right at the back and there was a free few crates and everything. All the rest of the guys were at the front, so I went right at the back with with another guy. So we went right close to the fan and then got a few crates of orange to kind of cover the lorry so they can see that we are right at the end. So nobody, if, if the checkpoints comes up, they can not see. And so there was like the oranges and everything. So I was like, okay, let's start feeding. Uh, I, I wasn't smart enough then, so I just started like peeling this orange and just... Downing it one after another, one after another. I'm like, it's super cold. It's a freezer lorry, it keeps everything freezing. Those oranges will freeze after like 40 minutes, an hour. I'm literally full up. I need, you need to have a wee on top of that. I'm freezing. I can't move my hands. My fingers are starting to kind of froze up, and my body's like, oh, how long know. was the journey? It was like, again, it was probably, I was probably in that lorry about 40 hours. Forty hours or something. Forty I, hours. Forty hours. I thought again, I thought I was gonna die. I didn't think I could make it just because of the oxygen. Oxygen. I just thought oxygen freeze to death, freeze to death and uh, and I was right at the back and I thought, oh well, I'm right at the back. If I die, nobody knows. I'm 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 dead, you know. It's like, oh, what's gonna happen? I thought it is what it is, you know. Stay here. So I just stayed there and then once we got to England, I can't remember, it was around Gloucester somewhere. The lorry stopped. It was just surrounding, you know, by I This all I can remember is it was around Gloucester. As soon as they opened the door, everybody, all those other guys, the adults, they all jumped out and started running away. I was literally froze. I couldn't move, so I had to almost push myself, fall off the lorry rather than jump, just because I couldn't. My my hands and feet, everything was frozen. So I fell off, and then. Yeah, once off the lorry, it was it was very different feeling. It was like, what now?
1: What did the guy say? The uh, did like did he talk to you all? The, the lorry driver,
2: yeah. he started running, he just thought, Oh, what's oh, going gosh. on? He, he got proper scared. <laughs> I I and I, I was It's the understandable. Last. Yeah, I, it is. I, I was the last, so I off, and then everybody started running the other guys, but I just didn't know what to do, so I just started walking. You know, I started walking, I had like 50 euro on me.
1: Where did you get that from?
2: Do you, do you remember the guy that uh, wow, well, the guy that was in Italy? You know, I yeah, he's yeah, yeah. Nice. he he's very nice, he fed guy. us and stuff. The Afghan kid, he kind of yeah. gave me the money, oh. so it was very kind of him. I uh, so I had that money, like 50 euro with me, like I just thought. You
1: know, useless here. Absolutely useless I, here. <laughs> uh, I was walking
2: literally um, by their docks, the docks. If you see that zebra cross right where yeah. it takes you to town. So, uh, as I was, came across and there was seen a bus stop, I, I am in town and I think that bus was going to Quesley or somewhere. I thought, I need to get on that bus so it could take me to town or it could what were you take wearing? me some oh, uh, I think it was jeans, like. Jeans, but like because along the journey I lost a lot of weight, so it was like proper baggy, baggy jeans. And the t-shirt was like proper baggy, dirty as you can as you can imagine. Just not having shower for days, and yeah, days. I mean. Yeah. So I, I I seen the bus stop and I thought I'm gonna I'm gonna try getting there. So I, I seen everybody going inside the bus and kind of giving them the money and the, the bus driver takes it. Takes. So I go inside the bus and I gave him the euro. And that guy just looked at me and started like, what are you doing? Get out. He's like, literally, go on, get out. And I said, okay. So I, I, I knew what he meant. So I just got out there, got out the bus. And so I walked back and stood by that zebra cross. And I just thought, I don't know what's happening. Like,
1: So you're alone just, now? It's like,
2: I'm alone.
1: Was that the first time you were alone?
2: I've, I'm, there was other times I was alone. But like, it was very weird feeling. It was just like, I was... I stood, but I wasn't, I wasn't present. Mm. You know, I wasn't present within myself. Like I was far away. I didn't know where I was. So I just stood there, just like staring at the road, staring at the road, right standing next to the road. And I was just staring at the road and I was just there for probably 20 minutes, good 20 minutes. And the next thing I see, this police car comes right next to me. I didn't even know how they knew. They stopped. All they did, open their car. I can't remember I can't remember anything they said. I don't even know if they spoke. Stopped their car. There's a nice, very nice lady. Opened the car. I didn't even say a word. I just got in there inside the car because I was froze. Literally, I was froze. As soon as I got inside, inside that car, it was like so warm. So warm. Did you know what time of year this was? You no, know, it was uh it, it was February time. February. Yeah.
1: So you've done all of this through the promptly through yeah, the freezing yeah, cold winter months. Yeah.
2: And then when I got inside, I couldn't keep my eyes open again just because it was just so warm. I was cold and suddenly hit by this warm. That was the first time ever anybody or any authorities being nice to me was that woman. I can still remember her, you know, and she offered me like a biscuit from there. And I just thought, oh, thank you. That was the highlight of my journey kind of thing in here in England like that was the, my journey couldn't have ended any better you know it couldn't have ended any better it was like you know when you say the icing on the cake and I think that woman was you know
1: do you know who she is
2: I, I, I can't remember I, I don't know her name have been what, 12 years know. ago like I felt very I felt comfortable you feel I, felt, safe? I felt safe first time I dropped my guard and I felt safe even though like I was on my way I was I was feeling tired. I was dozing, but I never allowed myself to fall
1: asleep. Again, I think we need to remember that you couldn't speak English at this time. I mean, you know, your English is fantastic now; like, really <laughs> is. Really. But you couldn't speak a word of English, and this is the first time that you felt safe. Yeah, because yeah, of this it
2: lady. Is. Although I couldn't speak English, but the, her gestures and her facial expression—you know, like—it it was so kind, and I just knew I would be safe. Like, I'm going to be safe. So I just, yeah, just dozed off there, like. After the biscuit, obviously, yeah, <laughs> and then did she take you to the station then and then she took me to the station, and then they did uh all the fingerprints and a few questions and stuff, and then because i'm did was, they have a translator because yeah, because I was a minor, they gave gave me into a foster home, mm-hmm. yeah, so I mean, I see nowadays I see all these kids or all these guys treating police or or behaving or swearing or whatever and being very disrespectful to the police and then they saw are this, they're that, but like I haven't had any experiences like that with them. Like it was amazing, you know. Here. It was at great least. here. You know, that was that's why I have very, very high high respect for the for the authority and for the for the police So they were yeah. all
1: kind to you in the station. Were yeah,
2: all. yeah, they were. They were amazing. Amazing.
1: Incredible. And so from the station, did you go Straight away to a foster home, or what was that
2: uh, they just uh like had i had to do a few uh checks and everything, but they again they they fed me that was the most important thing <laughs> you <laughs> literally because I was so hungry, my body was craving so much food because I haven't had it along my journey, I haven't had that like they gave me a like a dinner, like a food, I had that, and then like five minutes later, I was hungry again, and I just said, i am hungry again like. And they bought they bought another one. I said I'm hungry again, <laughs> and they bought another one. So it's like, it's amazing, you know. It's like it was incredible, but I just kept eating. kept eating. I just couldn't stop. Even I don't know if I was hungry or I didn't know if it was a mental barrier, like in my head. I was there. I might have been thinking like, oh, this is the time where I can fuel up. I don't know when when i'm That's not gonna it. have the food next that might have been that. so it could have been that so i just kept eating kept eating until they said that would we had enough of you we're gonna, <laughs> we're gonna give you into a foster home so yeah
1: the foster home did you move around foster homes or? Uh,
2: yeah like there was a temporarily foster home until they kind of found me a, a, a permanent foster home how was, long did that process uh, take Took about six, seven months, and then uh, finally, lots of displacement again. Yeah, yeah, lots of moving yeah. around,
1: families. How did you find that?
2: Again, you know, like every, every time, I I had my guard up all the time, just because of my journey, because of everything else. I never kind of dropped my guard. Uh, and then finally, when I got in into Anne's home you know, uh, when we started off, when we started living there, never again. I had always my guard up until she until i knew and i she worked through hardship with me and i knew she was a genuine, nice and kind person she was there to help me and she was there to support me in whatever way she could only then i started to trust her and i started to kind of drop my guard and how long and would you say that took to relax you know, it took me a long time very long time like even now i i still like i trust everybody you know i'm very kind and very helpful with anyone but I'm still very kind of uh I still have that safety thing with me like I I have to know you to trust you fully so I always have my guard up like even be just because of my journey sometimes people disguise tell us there's someone but in reality there's someone else you know so yeah you just never know what's what
1: did it help that she and McDonald we should say had fostered other Afghan kids as well
2: uh she she fostered another Afghan kid. I I don't know. I think because my journey was very different to that other Afghan kid. I was I was very different, and she still says it to this day. He said, "You're like you're very different, you know." To uh, not in a, not in any other way, but it was just like I was on I was I was on my own journey. I was in I was on another road. I was I had another path, and uh, there were some struggles along the way. And she had to work to find, to find me, you know, and I, and she had to know that my journey was different. And yeah, she had to kind of find different ways of making me feel relaxed and making me trust her. Yeah. And so, and she did that amazingly. She's, talented, she's done, it? she's done absolutely an amazing job. She turned me from a boy into a young man and like, as again, you know, I'm, there is there is nothing wrong with me, but however, you know, the mentally, when you go through a lot of stuff like that, trauma and, and everything, you still need somebody to kind of heal you and help you go through those emotions. Anne has done a lot, and she's helped me a lot. She's turned me from a young boy into a young man. I, I had so much energy. I put it into like, I was doing studying. Like when I got into school, I got in, I couldn't speak English, so. All I did was from the morning go to school and in my break time I used to go and study. In my lunch time I used to go and study. And then when I got home I didn't do anything else. I just got home and started to uh, read, write, read and write. I couldn't read or write so I just like those kids book, you know, the, the toddler's book. I was trying to read those and trying to see if I could pronounce those words correctly and see if I could make sense of it all. And then that's what I did like all the time, like for months and months and months. And uh, all the other kids, they, she fostered or the Afghan kids or anyone else, they used to come in, drop their bag off to the park and play with their mates or do other stuff where I was just like in the house, just go, go to school, study, 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 come home, study. I would finish like 11 o'clock at night, 10 o'clock at night. There was a point I was in one of my foster family, nine half nine o'clock at night she used to turn everything she says it's bedtime you have to go to bed so he said okay so yeah, not problem so because i couldn't sleep during the night and because of my journey i was like i was staying awake wide awake. there's so much stuff going through my head i had a big window uh the, the room so i used to put the light on and i used to try pronounce pronounce those uh toddler's books and stuff try to read it you know just try to get my keep my mind busy and she used to come. My first family used to come in and turn the light off. And she used to say, "You can't keep the light on. On, you got to go to sleep. You can't stay awake." Like ten o'clock at night, and I used say, "I can't sleep." So then I found a cheap, like a tenner phone from ASDA. You know, when my social worker got me. So I used to put the light on that on that phone, <sighs> and then I used to read. I still I still have them at home. I used to have that cheap phone where you kind of press the same button three times yeah, to get that yeah, yeah. letter to that get get that one letter and then i used to try type all those all those uh words and everything on that phone and then i used to the next day i used to delete it all and repeat again that's amazing okay. delete it all repeat again and then i when i got to Anne's, uh, uh she seen me do that for months and months and then she said it's not healthy <laughs> you can't do that you just can't go to school and come back and you know it was like you, you can't do that we have to find you something i said don't know like what else? this is all you yeah, now this is, is your life this right? is all, your all i do
1: like i don't know what to do were you making friends at school or how did you find that
2: it was okay like i was uh, everybody was nice and like everybody were friendly to me and i was friend but i was always because I wasn't mixing I wasn't playing around I was just like going in just do my thing just study and stuff trying to learn uh so that's why I didn't really kind of didn't really have fun during school to be honest but then whoever used to come in and if they couldn't speak English or if there was anybody that needed help in that way so I was I was I was there to kind of help them being out a mentor for them as well them, being a mentor because I knew what it felt like to be that guy to walk into the school and not being able to speak the language or not knowing what to do. What and how was to do it? St. Peter's. St. Peter's.
1: Yeah. It was Big just, old it was school.
2: A, oh, it's a great school. Amazing. The teachers are amazing. It's, it's an incredible school. Uh, so, yeah, uh, I always tried to mentor, but otherwise, yeah, that's all I did, just study, 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 until, yeah, and my foster mum, until she said, love, you know what? Uh, she told my other foster brother, you know, this guy is – it's not healthy what he's doing. We got to find him something. You know, he needs to get some energy out, get some whatever he's got. He needs something. So we tried kickboxing uh, for a little bit and it just wasn't really the same. Uh, I remember coming into boxing uh, with my foster brother. He came in first time with me. He wanted to box and he was very good at that, that time. When the first day got punched in the face, I don't know what happened. And I just thought, that's it,
1: <laughs> this is it. I found my thing. Yeah,
2: and then from the second day, my brother said, I see I'm done, I ain't going, like, he didn't use. Re- he had other stuff, so I'm going. So I just kept going, kept going, couldn't speak English, you know, uh, so I, I kind of almost developed in the gym, made friends, just loved it, you know, getting punched in the face, punching people, just training hard, you know, being, just like in a sense, being tortured, putting through those hard stuff, you know ever since my training went from two days to three days from three days to five days and then full-time and then i started going running you know outside the gym go run from two miles first time ever to run from two miles going into slowly four miles and then doing 10 miles you know and now it's like look at me now just a full-time professional boxer it's incredible it,
1: it really is tell me about john
2: oh john's amazing he's uh he was there, like, I mean. So this is John started. Pittman. Sorry, John, we should say John Pittman yeah, at Fight Factory. John Pittman from Fight Factory. He's been great. Great hub. Uh, he kind of, I, I can remember having a conversation with him in the old gym. That was like about nine years ago, nine years ago, roughly. And I said, back then I was I, I was, I was schooling. then, so I, I spoke to him and I said, how much should I put into this training? You know, and what do you think about professional boxing? Do you think, like, can we make it? Should I put all my focus in boxing, or should I do the schooling and everything? And he said, said, yeah, if you put your mind to it, you can make, you can achieve it. You know, absolutely. He said, but you can't put all your eggs in one basket, as they say. And I, I, I was always like in my head, I always had that in in the back of my mind, like, should I go for a career? Should I go like why everybody else does, like get a job and stuff and schooling, uni and everything, or should I just box? Should I do that? Should I box? It just like, it drove me nuts because I wanted to, I wanted to do both. Whatever I do, I want to do it to the best of my ability. Uh, So I just thought, you know what, I'm going to do both. I did my schooling, went to college and then from college, go do my apprenticeship, you know, uh, and then go to uni, do my degree and then at the same time building my boxing and I see everybody says, "Oh, it's, it's it's hard. You can't do it. It's absolutely impossible." But you're making it work. You know, and it's working for me. And it worked. It worked. I had the last, literally, uh, I had my exams. I had seven, five or six, seven assessments out all at the same time, and then I had uh, my dissertation and everything. And then I also had two fights lined up. I had to train for both of the fights out the full training camp i had to reduce my calories i was hungry i had to train hard do sprints do sparring get punched in the face it was hard it's not easy this is very hard when you're dieting and training and then on top of that you haven't got energy or anything and then on top of that i had to go and do my uni work i had to because you've just finished uni i just finished uni yeah yeah So uh, what would
1: you what were you doing at uni
2: sport strength and conditioning yeah is
1: that just is that because obviously obviously is a passion of yours yeah is it something that you want to have as a career beside your pro boxing now until a point at which you don't
2: uh this is good it is like i mean sport is my I, life. i love it it is my life everything i do evolves around sport when i get up what i eat what I, where i go who i meet what i do uh what I think ahead. Everything involves around sport really. Uh so strength and conditioning was like a great uh, choice. I love I love learning about my body, how to it worked both ways. It, one, I got my degree, my education. Two, that it's gonna give me it's gonna help me see my road in a lot of different ways. And it's gonna help me train hard but also train smart, you know, and to get to to get to where I wanna get to to those world titles. Yeah.
1: Take a second just to look back at how far you've come in twelve years. You've got a deg- you know you've got a degree in a language. It, you know you came here not knowing. You know you're a professional boxer. It is truly inspirational. It's incredible. You know I've, I've said to other people I don't want this podcast to be too you know I don't I don't want to take myself too seriously with it or anything like that. But I think a story like yours deserves to be told in the way you've just done it. So thank you for that. And I know that you've got so much more to do. When do you want to start fighting for the titles? Like what's if you could ideally. Be fighting, would it be? Is it within 12 months? Is it 24 months? Is it five years? What, is, what are the next uh, few years? The,
2: for the, you? the tiles definitely. I've the tiles are coming. I can see my road. Like, although I didn't know whether, like, I didn't know, am I going to get here? Am I going to be a professional boxer? Am I going to win my fight? Am I even going to get the tiles? Uh, am I going to make it to the top? That's all questions. You know, there's all there's so many questions that needs to be answered. I just I, I just seen like a like along my journey in life generally I just seen like one thing I've learned I all I, I all I need is a little little indicator and then I'm on that journey regardless of whether I can see the the front or I can see as long as I've got light right at the end of the tunnel as long as I can see that light I'm going to march towards it and no matter what route i'm going to take to get there but i am going to get there i'm I going to give up that. i'm not going to give up and i think the, my world my ambition for the world tile is is one of those that's my light that is that light in the tunnel for me i don't know how i'm going to get there i don't know the difficulties that lies ahead for me but i i can see it i can see it in in my mind and and even more so now than I did before I can see it and it's getting closer. Like I can just feel it within myself uh, It's going to happen. You know, I can see it. So all I have to do is just stay dedicated, stay, stay humble, train hard, focus on my boxing, get the right team around me, get my, get my whole town. Let's bring Gloucester get behind my you. Gloucester behind me, you know, get my people behind me. Yeah. Hopefully we'll get there. I think I'll be the first person to bring that world title to Gloucester and I will do it. I will do it. You know that... Uh, I believe you. Kings, I completely believe you. The, the, we have the rugby ground at uh, the King's home. I'm going to fill that for my world title one day. For my world title one day. So that is the goal, and that is the dream. It's going to
1: happen. What does success look like to you?
2: Do you know I've... Over the years, the meaning of success has changed to me so many and so many times. But now, like what success looks like to me having a being healthy is one being healthy and being happy
1: what does happiness look like
2: doing what i love being around who i love doing what i want to do you know i just just be who i am you know like i'm very happy right now like this i'm I'm sex like I don't know, like some people tally success with financial hmm. side, but like I've I've learned different through my journey and stuff. That's, that is, that's meaningless to me. You know, my success is what I've worked hard for. You know, like, as I said now, like that, that world tile to me, like you can get, you can buy that belt if you wanted to buy a belt like that. If somebody who tomorrow gave me like a world tile belt and said, look, you don't have to fight for it. Here is the world title. You've got it. You're a world champion. In You're in your weighted category. I'd say, what's this? I don't want this. That's not. A, that's not what I want. It's that journey along, and I need to enjoy the journey. And I'm enjoying it more and more. The difficulties, the happiness, the ups and downs, meeting different people. Uh, yeah, for building my team, uh, making friends. Yeah, just experiencing the journey. That's what happiness is. Just enjoying every moment of life.
1: And that's what I mean. I've got no doubt that you should succeed and that you get every happiness you deserve. Because honestly, I want to see it for you, and I know everybody around you wants to see it for you as well.
2: Thank you. I I think Gloucester is definitely uh, getting behind me for sure. Uh, I just need to they I need to put myself out there more and more for sure. I'm I'm just building right now. I'm just building my team. Every day by day, my team is getting stronger and stronger. I have John Pittman, absolutely like a great, great coach, great guy uh, there to help you whatever way he can. And then I have my strength and conditioning coach. Everything happens for a reason. I went to uni, I started, finished my degree. I, I met my strength and conditioning coach there, Edward Baker, absolutely the the best in the business. He I I couldn't fault it, you know, he was... And we, I can just see my my training going into another level every time, day by day. Like my boxing ability, we going sparring me and John, and uh, going to different gyms. And I can just see myself like going all the way to the top, just because I see all those other prospects and stuff. And I'm able to spar those guys, and I'm able to feel comfortable. And I think like is that all? Have you been need tested to be yet? I test? no, I haven't, and that's yet. To be found out, as I said before, like I've had hard sparring for sure, but one that needs to test me, I haven't been tested yet. So uh, there's a question I just need to make. I, I, I need to find somebody who's going to answer that for me.
1: I remember coming to watch you in, was it Hadley Manor? Or yeah, yeah, my first fight. In your yeah. first fight. I remember coming to watch that and just thought, everybody always says it, but it's that X factor. It's like, oh, you've got it. You don't know what it is, but you've, you could see it. And everybody there that night, I think, thought the exact same thing. And, like, and it's, it's just wonderful to see. And as I say, I just, I watch you're fantastic on your social media. Um, you give a lot and it's all great quality stuff, um, which is, it's a skill in itself. And it's, it's part of, you know, it's a job in itself, isn't it, sometimes? Um, but I think you do a fantastic job of that. But I just, I love, and I know other people do, and other people will, especially after this, they will, they'll just love to see your journey continue. It You know, it didn't start in the kindest way for you. You know, you've really, you've really grasped the opportunities and made opportunities. And we as a city should be incredibly proud of you.
2: Thank you. I'm, I'm, I'm glad, I'm glad to be here. I'm glad to be part of it. Uh, this is my home. You know, this is home to me, you know, Gloucester. I, I, I can't imagine myself being, calling any, any other place home. You know, I spent half of my life in Afghanistan and half of my life here. Like I was, I came here when I was 12 and I'm 24 now. So, like, I'm Afghan, part of me, you know, but I'm also, you know, Gloucester, Gloucester <laughs> boy. So spent half my life here, I'm sure. And people have supported me in Gloucester, and I think they will continue to support me. I've got some sponsors. I appreciate all their help and uh, what they do for me, you know.
1: It's all just positivity. I think that's what it is. It's you put out positivity, positivity comes back to you. And yeah. it will only continue as you, you know, as you progress. Is there anything you'd say to somebody that is in a position where they're struggling in life?
2: Surround yourself with good people. That's key. Just take one step at a time. Think, take one minute at a time, one hour at a time, one day at a time, one week, and then month and year at a time. But still, whatever your dream is, just get one step closer to it. Just get one second closer to it or one day closer to it. One step at a time. I'm going to do it. Whatever happens, I'm going to do it
1: i going to do it all. I'm going to do all. I'm going to do it. Well, your positivity is genuinely infectious. I think it's amazing that you, after everything, are the person you are. So just thank you for coming. Thank you for speaking.
2: Thank you for having me.
1: Really appreciate you going through.
2: Thank you. Appreciate
1: Cheers. That. Thanks, Shabir. I told you it was a good one, didn't I? <laughs> Shabir is an incredible, incredible young man with a phenomenal future. And although his name might not be the best known of the names that you're going to see in this series, it's one you should remember. And that's what I want to do with this podcast. I want a mix of people you've possibly heard of that draw listeners and have their own incredible story to tell, and then successful, driven, optimistic, positive people like your Shabir's of the world that you might not have heard of, but now you have, hopefully you won't forget his name. You can follow Shabir. On Facebook, or just search the Afghan warrior. You can follow him on Instagram at Shabir Haydary. In fact, I'll drop all of the social links into the notes below the episode. And you can do me a massive, massive favor. Let's keep this podcast, let's keep this interview podcast going up the charts. Go and review it if you liked it. Five stars, please. That would be wonderful. Tell your friends, share the podcast, subscribe. Subscribe on more than one. If you've got Spotify, if you've got Apple Podcasts, go and subscribe on more than one. Let's really get it up those charts. Let's get these conversations out there. I think it's incredibly important to get this optimism, this positivity, this resilience out there and show that no matter what your starting line is, and that's the whole point of this, no matter what your starting line is, there's a way forward and you can keep a smile on your face. You can keep moving forward and that's incredibly powerful, I hope, to some of you listening. Again, you can follow us at Starting Line Show on Instagram and TikTok, Starting Line Show without the W on Twitter. And if you search The Starting Line Podcast on Facebook, you'll find us there too. Find out more about me and about the podcast itself at StartingLinePod.com or you can email us, hello at StartingLinePod.com. It's been really nice getting a few messages from listeners, so keep those coming. If you've got guest suggestions, if you're a manager or somebody indeed that thinks that their stories, is one that we should get out there through this podcast, then get in touch. Again, Hello at startinglinepod.com. Always always lovely to hear from people. Thank you again. This is turning into something quite exciting. It's amazing to think that we are just three weeks since I pressed the button on the Levi Roots episode, and already we're charting, already we're making some headlines. It's just phenomenal, and I can't wait to see where this goes. I don't think there's any reason that this can't get to number one. why not? Let's see what kind of guests we can get. Let's see what kind of stories we can tell. Thank you again for coming along on this with me. Thank you to producer Eddie. Thank you to my girlfriend Vic, who is the person behind the jingle you hear at the beginning and end I can never get it out of my head so thank you Vic and thank you to Rami and his team that put together the promo videos as well if you haven't looked at them they're they're just fantastic I absolutely love seeing them every week they listen to the episodes they pull out the best quotes they turn it into something pretty special so thank you thank you keep listening keep smiling keep moving forward until next time when we've got another incredible guest